You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, O God, for who you are. Lord, we thank you, O God, that there is no more wealth or riches that could come before your cross. Lord, we thank you, O God, that you teach us. Lord, we thank you, O God, that you draw us near. Lord, O God, would you fill us with your spirit? Would you lead us in truth and teach us? God, would you show us who Jesus Christ truly and really is so that we may worship him for who he is? God, take away from us our idols. Take away from us our false ideas. Take away from us our own passions that lead us away from Jesus, God, and show us Jesus. Lord, we need you. We love you. We thank you, O God, for your Son. Lord, fill this place now with your Spirit. Teach us, O God. We need you. We need you desperately. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Please take your seats. Please take your seats. Well, good morning, Harvest. It is so good to be with you. And wasn't it just so good to hear from our pastor? Um, You need to know this, our pastor loves you so much, and I know that he just can't wait to get back here, but keep him in your prayers, keep his family in your prayers, and by God's grace, we will have him back sooner than later. Um, So you can go ahead and open up your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 6, the Gospel of Mark chapter 6, we will be in verses 45 to 52, Mark chapter 6, 45 to 52. The human heart is a feeble thing, wouldn't you agree? Often it's too weak to handle difficulty. Often it's too filled with pride to admit fault. The heart is constantly seeking to be filled and satisfied, and the question is, what satisfies our hearts? What satisfies your heart? Well, the answer is one of two things. Either your heart will be satisfied with its own understanding, with its own passions, with its own desires, or you will allow your heart to be filled with an understanding of Jesus Christ. So if you're there, Mark 6, 45 to 52, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? The word of the the Lord says this. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought he was a ghost, and they cried out, for they saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. You may take your seats. Do you understand who Christ is? 
Uh, Do you understand who he is and why he came? Do you understand his purpose? Do you understand what it means to be called by God? Do you understand why it is you go through what you go through? Do you understand what the storms of life are really about? Do you see the value in your suffering and in your hardship? Or have you created um, this idea of who Christ is and, and, and you've, you've come up with this other reality of who Christ is and you've kind of put that onto Christ and then you've worshipped that instead of worshipping the true Christ? Is your heart hardened because you don't understand? Jesus wants our hearts. Above all else, he wants our hearts. He wants us to be filled with understanding of who he is so that we will be satisfied in who he actually is. He is too kind. He is too kind to allow us to drift too far or to get too close to a theology, an idea, an understanding that is false about his character. All of us need this today. All of us need this today. All of us need these storms. The message is entitled today, Storms are Good for the Heart. Storms are good for every heart. Storms are good for us today. And everyone here needs this because none of us yet fully understand Christ. None of us here can say that we have seen the Father face to face. None of us here have been to heaven. None of us here have fully understand the true and full character of our Savior. We're still learning. We have so much to learn. And so sometimes the best thing for us is a good storm. The things we see in a storm, we would never be able to see on dry, safe ground. This whole scene here uh, comes off the heels of another really popular story in Scripture. Everyone's heard about Jesus walking on the water, and I think everyone has also heard the story of feeding the 5,000. Do you remember this story? Well, right after this is where we find ourselves. And so in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus, he's he's teaching these people kind of outside of town and a little bit in the middle of nowhere, and he's he's teaching 5,000 men, it says. And it doesn't mention maybe the women and children that are with him. But he's teaching at least 5,000 men, and dinner time comes, and they get a little bit hungry, and there's nothing for them to eat. And so Jesus decides that he's going to feed everyone. This baffles the disciples, but he pulls off a miracle, and he gets five loaves of bread, and they're probably just little cakes, probably about that big, and two fish. And he takes those five loaves, I'm sure you've heard this story, and the two fish, and he creates out of them food enough to feed 5,000 people. He does this amazing miracle and he feeds thousands and thousands of people with just a couple cakes and two fish. There was so much food, actually, there was leftovers and the disciples went around and picked up the bread and filled 12 baskets full of bread. It was amazing. It was amazing. We see in the book of John in chapter 6, when John is giving the account to this story, that the people that he was teaching sought to make Jesus king after this. It says by force they were going to make him their king. Why? Why? Because this is a good deal. If Jesus Christ was their king, they would never go hungry. If Jesus Christ was their king, they would be filled and satisfied in their stomachs. You see, in this day and age, having your next meal might have not been guaranteed. They weren't sure what they were going to eat next, and so they saw Jesus handing out food, and they thought, this could be our king. Let's make him king by force. 
But do you see the issue with what these people thought about who Jesus was? See, they were seeking the satisfaction of their stomachs and not the satisfaction of their hearts. They had an idea about who Jesus was. They had this bad theology. They had this bad understanding. And to them, Jesus Christ was no more than a free vending machine handing out breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They looked at Christ and they they just saw a free meal ticket. I think we can have trouble relating to this story um, now in days because uh, we don't struggle with hunger very often especially where we live in the world. Food is more readily available than it ever has been before. I mean, we're hungry and we eat. When was the last time you were truly, truly hungry? I mean, you're hungry, you open up the fridge. You're hungry, you open up the pantry. You're driving and you're hungry and you drive through and get food. I mean, it's just so immediately available to us that um, we don't, might not relate to this story right, as well, uh, right away. Our appetites have been so saturated that the example can be lost on us. But but we too seek to be physically satisfied. You see, the example might change from then, but the heart remains the same. The example might change over thousands of years, but over thousands of years, the human heart remains the same. We often treat Jesus like a dispenser of earthly goods. We often look at Jesus and think, oh, he is just here to satisfy my needs and my stomach. We look to him to satisfy our needs for just jobs or relationships or a good marriage or or money or sex or uh, success in personal or in business life. And we think that Jesus, as we come up and we just push the right code, that should be dispensed out to us. You see, the people he was teaching, they were seeking the gift, not the giver. And there's much to be said about that. But we come to our text today, and in verse 45 it says this, Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. You see, Jesus wants my heart, and so he sends me into the storm. He sends me into the storm. You might ask, why did Jesus send his disciples away? Doesn't this seem like the opposite of what Jesus normally does, right? Or what we maybe we've been taught? You know, Jesus uh, draws near to us. He says he will never leave us or forsake us, that he will be with us until the end of the age. How could he send his disciples into the storm? How could he send them away alone in the boat? Why would he do this? I think the answer is in verse 52. It says that they did not understand about the loaves, and that their hearts were hardened. They did not understand about the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. And so this is why Jesus sends them away. There's two different kinds of ways, I think, that our hearts can be hardened towards Jesus Christ. You can, I can think of one uh, example in Scripture. Uh, remember the story about Pharaoh in Exodus? And uh, Moses and Aaron continually came up to Pharaoh and, and said, let my people go. And then it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Or it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Either way, Pharaoh's heart was getting hard. Why? Why? Because Moses and Aaron were pro- proclaiming to him who the real God was, and he didn't like that. He didn't want God to be God. He wanted to be God. He did not like that God was in control of everything. He wanted to be in control of everything. 
And so his heart was hardened. But there's another way that I think our hearts can be hardened against Christ. See, we can fail to understand who Christ truly is. We can imagine or, or think or assume or wish that Christ is a certain way or that Christ would do a certain thing, even if it's contrary to Scripture, and we kind of attribute that to Christ and we put that on him and then we worship that. But that's never who Christ was. And so what happens is we set up this false and fake Jesus and we worship it. And our heart is hardened against the true and real Christ and who he is. You see, this is what the disciples were struggling with here. This is what all of the people on the shore were struggling with here. They thought Jesus was the satisfier of their stomachs. And they were mistaken. They were grossly mistaken. This is what we struggle with today so often. This is why there are so many false churches out there preaching a gospel that is contrary to Scripture. They are preaching to itching ears, telling people what they want to hear, what would make them happy in this moment. They're more concerned about the opinion of man than the opinion of God. And they preach a false gospel. You see, God sends his disciples away to separate them from bad theology. Jesus sends his disciples in a small boat in the dark in the middle of the sea because it was way better than being around a bad idea of who Jesus was. You see, Jesus wants your heart. He sends his disciples away to make sure they don't think wrongly about him. And this has everything, everything to do with our salvation. Everything to do with our salvation. In his kindness, he sends his disciples away. And in verse 47, we see that it was the evening. We see that it was the evening. It says that they went out to the sea and Jesus was alone on the land. And here's the question for you. Have you been cast out into darkness? Right now, have you been cast into darkness? Does it feel like you have been abandoned? Are you questioning who Jesus actually is? I wonder what was going on in the mind of the disciples in this moment. Maybe they were a bit confused at first. Why didn't he come with us? Why did he leave us in this boat? I think the answer to that is, is oftentimes we need a massive shakeup in our lives so that we would um, be torn away from our bad ideas and shown who Jesus Christ truly is. Oftentimes, because of our own pride, we can't see what is so clearly right before us, and Jesus has to put us into a storm so that we might see who he is. We need to question the things we've been doing and seek Christ. Jesus wants my heart, and so he sends me into the storm, but he also prays for me in the storm. He prays for me in the storm. Do you see that in verse 46? It says, and after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. He went up to the mountain to pray. The text here doesn't tell us exactly what it was Jesus was praying about. But we can see that he was probably up on this mountain for about seven or maybe even eight hours, maybe a little longer. So he had a lot of time to pray. And I think it's fair. I think we can safely assume that Jesus is praying for his disciples while he's up there. If you look throughout the Gospels and you look at what Jesus usually prays for, he usually prays for um, the situation that's right before him. 
He's constantly praying for his disciples. In 1 Timothy 2.5, we see that Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. That is what he does. He mediates between God and man, and so it's safe to assume that Jesus is praying for his disciples. In Luke 22.31, do you remember this passage? Um, uh, Satan, is, we're told, is, comes to Jesus and wants to uh, sift Peter like wheat. And Jesus says, Peter, I've prayed for you to the Father that your faith would not fail. You see, Jesus is constantly praying for his disciples. And so why wouldn't he be praying for them now? He had plenty of time to pray. He had plenty of time to pray. So I think it's very safe for us to assume that he's praying for them. You see, Jesus wants your heart. And as he sends his disciples away to take them out of a bad situation, to push them into a storm that maybe they would never choose to be in, he prays for them. He sees them. He prays for them to make sure that they don't wrongly think about who he is, that they would know him and know him well. He's the only way to the Father, and so that is what he does. You see, this has everything to do with our salvation. You see, uh, uh, God, or Jesus, has called these 12 disciples, and he's teaching thousands and thousands of people, and they all start believing something falsely about who he is. Does he call all of them to be on the boat? No, he calls 12 of them to go on the boat, and he, and he carries those who he loves. He pushes them away so that they would be saved from this bad idea, and then he prays for them. He prays for them. I think that Jesus' prayer might have sounded something like this. In John 17, 9 to 11, in the middle of the high priestly prayer that Jesus prays, he says this, and I think it's safe to assume that he might have said something very similar to this. He says, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those who you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. You see, Jesus prays for those he's called. Jesus prays for those who are his. Have you been called by Jesus Christ? Have you been made his? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ and him alone for the salvation that you so desperately need? Have you confessed your sin? Have you repented? Have you turned away and trusted that Jesus Christ will forgive you? Because if you do, you might have the sweet privilege of being on the boat in a storm instead of being on the dry land with your belly filled. Jesus does not send you in a storm and forget about you. Right now, I'm sure there's so many people here facing hardship and difficulty, but Jesus does not forget about you. He prays for us. Don't be discouraged at this moment. He's praying for you. He is looking after you. I love the imagery in this text. I think it's just it paints an amazing picture of our reality today. You see, Jesus is teaching this crowd. He, he, he sends those who are his. He sends his church on this little boat in the dark in the middle of the sea. And, there's, and then there's waves. They're crashing in and their boat's filling with water. And, and everything seems to be going terribly. But Jesus goes up high and he, and he prays for them. And, and, and he can see them from the mountaintop. And he can see the struggle that they're in. He can, he can see the pain. He can see the waves. And, and in that moment when Jesus is up there for seven or eight hours praying for them, not for a moment is he concerned if his disciples will make it through the storm. 
He knows they will. Not for a moment is he concerned that the boat would take on too much water that they wouldn't be able to manage. He knows that they will make it through. Not for a moment does he think that the storms will overcome their safety and destroy them. He knows that they will make it through. And just like today, the church, us, we were on this little boat in the middle of the world with waves crashing in around us, with the enemy tempting us, with with all sorts of things being hurled at us. And sometimes we think, how can we keep our head above the water? And Jesus is on the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning in all power, and he looks down at us and he sees us, and not for a moment is he concerned if we will make it through. He knows we will. Why? Why? Because he sustains us. Because he knows the outcome. He knows what you are going through. From his vantage point, he can see everything, and he prays for you. He recognizes you. He knows you. He loves you. He's not concerned if your faith will fail because he will be sustaining you. He is dedicated and determined that you would know him and that in your life you would glorify him. And he will make that happen. See, Jesus wants my heart, so he sends me into the storm. Jesus wants my heart, so he prays for me in the storm. And Jesus wants my heart, and so he comes to me in the storm. Jesus wants my heart, and so he comes to me in the storm. The storm, we see that while Jesus is praying, he does see his disciples. And in verse 48, um, after praying, he sees them in the storm. Let's look at the text here. We're just going to walk through these next couple lines of scriptures, line by line, so follow along. The next part of the text, it says this. It says, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. He saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. They made headway painfully. Why? What caused them to make headway through this storm painfully? It says in the text, the wind. The wind did it. But we can't for a second just think that this is all a coincidence. That Jesus didn't know that when he sent his disciples into the sea that there would be a storm. Of course he did. Of course he did. He controls the wind. He controls the sea. He knows that the Sea of Galilee is 400 feet below the ocean's level and that a great wind from the north often comes in there. He knows this. He controls it. He created it. It's not a coincidence. They are in this storm because Jesus commanded them to go there. They are in this storm. They are in this pain because they obeyed Jesus Christ. See, at least four of these men were fishermen. Right? And I could just, just imagine that, um, you know, it's about evening time and Jesus, after teaching, he says, guys, get into the boat, go into the sea. And I would think that the four of them that are fishermen are like, man, this doesn't look like a very good idea. Nah, Jesus, you know, thanks for your opinion there, but, you know, I've been fishing in this sea my entire life. And I know because of the color of the clouds and the sky and the wind and the time that this really isn't a good idea. Thanks, Mr. Carpenter. Carpenter. Um, But, you know, we're fishermen and we would know the sea a little bit better than you. But they obey. They obey even probably knowing what was going to happen. They're stuck in this middle the middle of this storm, fearing for their lives. And I could just imagine some of them saying, as the wind is beating against the boat and the waves are beating against the boat and it's filling up with water, I could just imagine one of them saying, I knew this would happen. We shouldn't have listened to him. 
Why would he do this? Sometimes sounds just like us. But imagine if Jesus didn't command them of this. Imagine if they didn't obey. They would still be on the shore failing to see who Jesus truly was. They would be on the shore failing to understand who Jesus is. Let me say this. It is far better to be in the middle of the storm in a tiny boat in the dark and obey Christ than to be safe on the shore with a belly full of food and not knowing who Christ is. You see, if they had stayed, if they had stayed on the shore, maybe they would have got everything that all of us would have ever wished for, all that we ever hoped for. You see, they, they were best friends with Jesus, who they wanted to make king. Could you imagine if they stayed and, and the crowd came up to the disciples and said to them, um, hey, hey, you know, you know the king. Hey, let me do some favors for you so that I can get access to Jesus. Hey, do you think you can put a good word in for me? Uh, they would have been highly regarded. They would have been honored. They would have been praised as friends of the king. And Jesus knows that this is the worst thing for them. Jesus knows that the worst thing for them is that they would be honored and praised by men and not understand who Jesus is. So glad that they decided to obey Jesus Christ. I mean, honestly, just a side note here. Is this, is this story just not a massive killer? Isn't this the last nail in the coffin of the prosperity gospel? Doesn't this just wipe it away? Like, or any notion that, that Jesus is just a dispenser for, for your good things today? That, that you can just name it and claim it? Do you think that the disciples were naming it and claiming a storm in the middle of the sea in the dark? No, 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 no. Jesus does not call us to a life of comfort. He calls us to the life in the storm. The prosperity gospel does not fit within Scripture. He does not satisfy us just with earthly things. He satisfies us with himself. It's not about getting stuff now. It's not about being safe now. See, does, does, Jesus, does Jesus care about your sickness right now? Yes. So much, so much. Does Jesus care about the pain you feel? So, so much. Does Jesus care about your marriage? So, so much. He cares about the common cold all the way to cancer. Does he care that you've lost your job? Of course. Does he care about what you will eat tomorrow? Of course. But when you put all of those things next to the, how much he cares about you understanding who he is, it's nothing. You see, it's not about you getting better now. It's about you being better for eternity. It's not about you being healed of your sickness today. It's about you being healed of a hardened heart forever. Christ loves us too much to give us the things that we might want now. Sometimes we get sent into the storm and he comes to us. It says this. It says, in about the fourth Watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. 
I find this really interesting. We said earlier um, that uh, it was evening when he was sent out, and then it's the fourth watch of the sea. So what evening is what? Six, seven o'clock, depending on how old you are, right? And uh, the, uh, the fourth watch of the night is about 3 a.m. It's about 3 a.m. maybe to 6 a.m. And so Jesus, as we said, is up there for about eight hours. And so he sees them in the storm for seven, eight hours. They're struggling in the storm, fearing for their lives for seven and eight hours. To them in the boat, it probably seemed like an eternity. And Jesus prays for them while they struggle. They get brought down to their lowest point. They get brought to exhaustion, wondering if they will see tomorrow. The verse continues, it says, Walking on the sea, he meant to pass them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. They saw him and were terrified. Jesus comes to the disciples in the middle of the storm. He proclaims who he is before even saying a word. He declares who he is by walking on the water, by coming to them in the storm. And they may have thought a million different things about who Jesus was and what he could do for them. That he could be a provider for every physical need that they had. But then he comes walking on the water. What does this mean? What does this mean? It means that Jesus came to them in the darkest part of the night when they were exhausted, when they were tired, when they had no hope, when they've worn out all their strength, when they're in the middle of the waves and, the, and they're bucketing water out and they don't think they're going to see another hour. And not only does Jesus come saying that he could manage the storm, he comes and he shows that he is completely and utterly and totally in all authority over the storm. He walks on the water. This is such a picture of fearful saints toiling in their hardest circumstance. And then the Lord comes in as if it's nothing and just takes control. I, um, this, this picture, it just reminds me so much of a story with my son Levi. He loves um, throwing rocks. He's two and a half, okay? He's not like 16. He loves throwing rocks, all right? And even after he was here last night, and um, there's rocks outside, and he was throwing them in the rock pile. And everyone was like, ah, he does enjoy throwing rocks. That's right. You weren't lying. I'm not lying. He loves throwing rocks, okay? And he loves throwing rocks into water. I don't know if it's the kerplunk that the rock makes in the water. I don't know. He just, he absolutely loves it. So this summer, we're up at the cottage, and, uh, and uh, we get a bucket, and we go into the water, and we start collecting a bunch of rocks. And then we go out up onto the dock, and there he is just having the time of his life, throwing rocks into the lake. And then uh, there's this rock that is a bit too big. I must have put it in there, and it was, it was just a little bit too big for him to kind of manage and handle or throw even. And so there he is, he's looking at this rock and he's trying, oh, so heavy and he's trying to pick it up and, 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 and he can't do it. And he's like, how do you throw this? And, uh, and, and then after a little while of kind of um, struggling with this, he, he looks up at me and he goes, daddy help? I was like, okay, okay, no problem. And just like you, anyone here, any adult, I mean, the rock wasn't that big. And so we, I just kind of knelt down, picked it up with one hand and easily threw it 20, 30 feet into the water. And in that moment, he looks at me like, wow, you must be the most powerful being in the universe. You feel like Superman for a moment, right? And I think this is how the disciples felt. 
there in the middle of this storm. The waves are crashing in. There's no hope. There's no way of fixing this problem. And there Jesus comes strolling in, walking on the water. It's nothing to him. It's easy for him. The storm is not too difficult for him. He can manage. He can take control. I think that the disciples were terrified because they didn't expect that Jesus would meet them there. They thought he was a ghost. They had forgotten who Christ was. They were thinking all of these things that were wrong about him. And when Jesus came, they didn't recognize him. If Jesus appeared to you now, would you recognize him? Have you been worshiping him for who he is? That when he appears to you, when, he, when you hear truth, you know that is my Savior? Do you know that Jesus will not leave you in the storm? That you are in the storm because he loves you? He's coming to you? Don't give up hope. Trust him. The best thing for you right now, the best thing for us right now is to be in the storm that you are in. That you would see who Jesus is. Do you need to learn more about who Jesus is? We all do. We all do. Depend on him in the darkest moment and wait patiently for him. He will never, ever disappoint. He will come walking on the water and show you that he is more powerful than any situation, any storm that we could go through. The text continues, and it says, But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. Do you see how sweet our Savior is? Do you see that? Do you see that he just has the perfect words to say in the perfect moment? He comes to them, and they're terrified, and he doesn't just rebuke them. He just says to them, Take heart. It is I, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever been in going through something, something really hard maybe, and you open God's word, and then you see something for the first time, and the Lord just speaks to you, and it just seems to so perfectly work with the situation you're in? And you're like, I've read this passage a thousand times, but this is the first time I've seen that. It's the Holy Spirit being so gracious to you, to speak to you, to speak words of encouragement to you when you need to hear them. Have you ever had a friend or someone, and they don't even know what you're going through, but they just say something, and you're just like, that's exactly what I needed to hear right now. And they're like, okay, you know, I was just talking about nothing, but sure. And you're like, that's exactly what I needed to hear right now. It wasn't them, it was the Holy Spirit using something to remind you of who Jesus actually is. Have you ever, I, I've, I've preached and I've had people come up to me afterwards and like, you were speaking right to me. <laughs> Do you know what I'm going through? It's like, no, I, you know, it, it's not me. It's not me. It's not Pastor Paul. It's not Jason. It's, it's no one up here. It's the Holy Spirit just being so kind to you and speaking a word of encouragement to you through his word because he loves you. He knows where you are. He knows what you need to hear and he speaks to us. He speaks to you. And maybe some of us right now need to hear these words. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. You see, the greatest comfort for the believer is the presence of Jesus. If Jesus is by my side, I can do anything. 
I can get through anything. Our God comes to us in the middle of the storm, so we're not left wondering. We can have the assurance that when things are at their worst, when the problems are piling on, when the weight is just too much to carry, he will walk to you. He will come to you. He will bless you. You see, we have a God that doesn't just stand off and observe. There's a whole theology about that, this idea that God is just some deity that just is out there. Sure, he might have created everything, but he doesn't interact with us. God is not just sitting somewhere in the cosmos going, okay, I kind of pushed existence into play here. Let's just see how it runs out. Let's just see kind of what happens. Oh, yeah, they're struggling, but, I mean, they only live like 80 years. It'll all be fine. That's not our God. That's not our God. God sees us in the boat. God sees us in the struggle. God sees the waves crashing in, the boat filling with water, and he is seated on high, and he does rule every single solar system and star and and bird and, and plant and everything you could imagine. He has sovereignty over all of it. But he doesn't stay there. He, he prays for us. He knows us intimately. He's sovereign, but he's imminent. And then he comes to us. He walks through. He shows himself to us. He speaks kindly to us. And loved ones, he gets in the boat. He gets in the boat. He doesn't just leave us there. He sees the struggle and he comes to us. And he gets in the boat. It says, he got in the boat with them and the wind ceased. And the wind ceased. If Jesus is by my side, the storms are nothing. And Jesus comes to us. Our God is so near. He leaves us there maybe for a moment, maybe just for a second, never taking us out of his view, never taking us out of his vantage point, just so that we would learn, just so that we would, for a moment, need dependence on him so that we could know him more. And then he comes to us and he gets in the boat. I love um, in John's account, in John 6, what he says happens. He says, Jesus got into the boat and immediately we were at the shore where we needed to be. I love that imagery. You see, when Jesus is in the boat, we're exactly where we need to be. When we see Jesus for who he is, when he's next to us, we're exactly where we need to be. He joins with us. How much more loving could our Savior be? He grabs an oar, he grabs a paddle, he calms the storm. So Jesus wants my heart, and so he sends me into the storm, he prays for me in the storm, he comes to me in the storm, and he heals me through the storm. He heals me through the storm. See, Jesus sends us away when necessary. But he doesn't forget about us. He prays for us. He doesn't leave us. He comes to us. And then he heals us. Look at verse, uh, the last part of 51 and 52. It says this. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. They didn't understand about the loaves, their hearts were hardened, but now they are utterly astounded by who Jesus is. Praise the Lord that he doesn't leave us in our ignorance. Praise the Lord that he'd be so kind to put us in a storm so that our understanding of him would be true, our understanding of him would be good, and then we could be utterly astounded with who he is. And no longer would our hearts be hardened towards him. 
When I say he heals us, I mean that he heals our hardened hearts. He heals our lack of understanding by revealing himself to us, by speaking to us, by getting in the boat with us. He is too kind to leave us on the shore. He is too kind to leave us in our ignorance. He's too kind to leave us in bad theology and a bad understanding. He wants our heart. He wants us to worship him fully. And so he heals us. He heals us. So what kind of storm are you in right now? What kind of storm are you in right now? Has the Lord just sent you away? Does it feel like you've been cast into the dark of the night in the storm and that the waves are crashing in, well, you can be assured. You can be assured that Christ has put you there. Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. Because he wants to teach you something. Because he wants to reveal himself to you. Seek truth and seek counsel from godly men and women and be ready to hear hard truths about the things you might believe. Be willing to change. Be willing to repent. Be willing to be utterly astounded by who Christ is. Right now, are you toiling in the middle of a storm and at the moment you can't see a way out? Again, the water is gaining on you. The waves are so high you can't see the shore. Take heart. Take heart. Jesus is coming to you. You need not be afraid. He sees you from on high. He knows what you are going through and he is coming to you. He will show himself powerful in your storm. Are you just seeing now, maybe again, maybe again, you've just come through this and you are utterly astounded by God's grace. I love that word. I love that phrase, utterly astounded. I mean, could you say it in a more uh, complete way? Utterly astounded? Every part of me is astounded by Jesus Christ? This is how the disciples feel. They see who he is and they're just utterly astounded. I could have never imagined that you were this grace-filled. I could have never imagined that you were this merciful. Oh God, I see you again now, almost like for the first time, and I love you. I'm astounded. I'm utterly astounded. Every part of my being is amazed with who you are. Are you there? Are you there? And I would say to you, stay in this place. Stay right there with Jesus in the boat with you. There is nothing sweeter than seeing Jesus. There's nothing sweeter than knowing our Savior. Seek him, love him. Loved ones, sometimes Jesus puts us in the middle of a storm. But you need to remember, he never forgets about you. He is praying for you, and he's coming to you. He will show himself powerful to you. He will get in the boat with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, O God, that you are a God who does not just sit on high somewhere far away and, and just on look. You don't just, you're not just a spectator of the world. Lord, but you intervene. You come in, O God. You save us, Lord. You sent your Son to die for us, and now you pray for us. You, you come to us in our weakest moments, O Lord. You get in the boat with us. Lord, we thank you, O oh God, that you are a God of comfort. That you are a God who is seeking what is best for us for eternity. 
Lord, that you are so kind to us to not just give us what we think would be best for us in the moment, Lord, but you give us what is best for us forever. Oh, Lord, forgive us, oh God, when we have believed things about you that just are not true. Lord, forgive us, oh God, when we have gone down a a theological path or an understanding of who you are to just try to benefit ourselves for right now. Oh, Lord, forgive us so that we might understand who you are more, that we would be utterly astounded by who you are. God, lead us in truth. Lead us in worship, oh God. Teach us, Lord. Direct us through the storm that we might love you, oh God. We thank you for not leaving us satisfied with this world, but that you satisfy us with yourselves, with yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please stand with us as we sing in response.